My name's Dan, and I'm one of the pastors here at HTBB. Today, I would like to speak to you about hope. Hope is one of the key ingredients that we need for a life lived to the full. It's, it's key for us as individuals, but also as us as a community, as a church, and even a nation. Now, the reason it's key is because that hope determines the direction of your life. When Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, uh, speaks to them about how much joy he gets when he thinks about them, he says that he's filled with thanksgiving every time he thinks of how much faith they have, but also how much love they have for all of God's people. And then he goes on to say this, he says, that faith and love that spring from the hope you have stored up in heaven. In other words, the faith that you have, the things that you build your life upon, the love that you have, the things you give your life to, spring up from the hope that you have. Our life comes from where we place our hope, and it either springs up or dribbles out of where we have placed it. In other words, hope is key. And what that also means, is that therefore, the hopelessness is really destructive. I wonder if you've ever felt hopeless. I, I know that I have. Um, one of the things you may not know about me is that I am a record breaker. Yeah, I'm a record breaker. Ten years ago, I was part of a team that broke a Guinness World Record for the longest five-a-side football match ever played. Uh, we set the record at 26 hours, continuous play, and we raised uh, quite a bit of money for charity. Actually, it was for Alpha in East Malaysia, actually. And uh, you might be wondering, well, why, why if uh, you broke the record, why if you raised money, uh, does this relate to hopelessness? Well, I will tell you. Uh, the way we started the match was that our team uh, scored the first goal and uh, that was the only point in 26 hours in which we were in the lead. And uh, I can tell you there is nothing quite like being four hours into a 26-hour match and being over 100 goals in uh, the losing place, uh, in a place where you know that no matter how much you try, you are not going to affect the outcome. Hopelessness took away all of the joy of that day and sucked all of the fun out of it. Now, if that's true for something as frivolous as uh, playing football for too long, how much more is it true as we sort of look at the things we are facing over the next few months, the, the health pandemic around the world, uh, the political situation in our nation, even the personal situations that I know many of us here are facing ourselves. Hope is going to be key for us to navigate these things well. To come out of these things well, we are going to need hope. And the good news is that what we see in our reading today is that Jesus gives hope to the hopeless. Jesus gives hope to the hopeless. And he not only gives hope to us, but he gives us a hope that he has for the whole world. So we're going to look at our reading, which is John chapter 5, verses 1 to 18. John chapter 5, verses 1 to 18. And this is what it says. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. 
Now here, a great number of people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The Lord forbids you carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Amen. This is a story about hope. The context of it is Jesus heading towards one of the big Jewish festivals. We read in verse 1, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. There were three of these main celebrations. There was Passover, Pentecost, and Purim. And each one of them pointed back in thanksgiving to something that God had done in the past, but also looked forwards in hope at the promise that God would do something even greater in the future. And whenever in John's gospel, Jesus goes to one of these festivals, he totally pulls focus. Think like Kanye interrupting Taylor Swift. He goes up, he takes focus, and he says, look, all of this hope, it's all about me. In other words, he not only fulfills it, he totally eclipses it. Now, he takes the best hopes of God's people and says, these hopes are about me. But then in this passage, it's not the concrete hope of the people of God that he's fulfilling. It's the sort of semi-vague, semi-Jewish, semi-pagan hope that he's fulfilling. See, this story is set around this pool, and Jesus takes an intentional detour to turn up there. We read this. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. This pool was one of two natural springs in Jerusalem, uh, natural springs coming out of the ground. And, uh, and people believed in its heyday that the waters had rejuvenating powers. And so the rich and the famous of the day, kind of, they, they put like marble steps in, they built covered colonnades, they would go there to relax. It was, it was very much the tire odyssey of its day. And this was where you would find the who's who of Jerusalem. 
Now, over time, the spring dried up and the water became stagnant. And so instead of being a place you'd go to relax, people started to wash their sheep there because it was near the sheep gate. And then eventually, these invalids would lie there because they believed, as we read in an a editor's footnote that, is, that appears in verse 4, that from time to time an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. This was the superstition they had. So there is a hope, but it's a vague hope. It's a hope that's hit and miss. You never quite know if it's going to be available to you. But it's also a dog-eat-dog kind of hope. This hope is a zero-sum game. There is only ever one winner. And so it isolates people from one another. They are in competition with one another, which is not good because we are built for relationship. It's the kind of false hope that results in people panic purchasing toilet paper and things like that. And this passage, in so many ways, invites us to ask, where are we like this man around the pool? Where are we staring, waiting for a hope that is unlikely to come? To ask, how are we like this? Because in many ways, like this looks really alien to us, but, but in other ways, the hope that these people are waiting for is quite a modern hope. They're hoping for health, and they're kind of waiting and hoping for celebrity too. These people think that if they get their health back, they'll get their lives back. But that is not always guaranteed. I know loads of healthy people who don't seem to always live, and I know loads of people who struggle with their health and yet seem to live life to the full. Health is an amazing gift, but it's a terrible God. And an unhealthy obsession with healthiness can lead to sickness and even death. But also, there's this, it, there's this no coincidence that this was a place where the rich and famous used to go to rejuvenate their lives. And now is a place where other people seek to find their lives. You know, in our day, you know, maybe for the Taoist, it's the hope that you'll get eternal life if your descendants remember you. But for the modern person, maybe it's the, the hope that you'll find life if other people remember you or other people notice you. That's the draw of celebrity, both for the famous and for their fans. You know, and whereas these people had to go to a pool of water to wait for their hope to materialize, each of us have, if you like, an infinite pool in the form of our phones in our pocket. And there's been definitely been moments where I've caught myself staring into the pool of Instagram, waiting for it to give me life and hoping that it's going to give me what I'm looking for. Now, Obviously, the most pressing thing for us as we think about hope is coronavirus. In light of all that's going on, the key for a functioning society is going to be hope. And there are going to be moments over the next few months where we are invited to put our hope in things that will not give us what we're hoping for. A, a hope that is small and unreliable or a hope that divides us from one another. But we have to avoid that. We have to resist that. Coronavirus is visibly showing us the perils of extreme individualism 
individualism. And we are incredibly interconnected. And we all have to work together for the flourishing of everyone, especially remembering the poor and the vulnerable. And we must reject and reject those false hopes that see us scrambling against each other, trying to be the first one into the pool. Now, in the midst of all that hopelessness, that hopeless situation, and in the midst of everything we are facing today, Jesus enters and he gives them hope. And the two things I want us to see today is that he gives hope to the helpless and that he gives hope for our whole lives. Firstly, hope for the helpless. I wonder if you saw this story in the news last week. An American woman called Caitlin Metro was out hiking in Arizona when she tripped and injured her leg. Being quite far from the road, they sent a rescue helicopter to go and get her. And all seemed to be going well until the rescue became more precarious than the original accident. So much so that her husband, George, says that she is still feeling the effects five days on. Let's have a look. Dramatic video coming from Phoenix, Arizona. Inside that basket, a 75-year-old woman. She hurt her knee while on a hike, so rescue crews were called to airlift her out. But that's when things took a turn, literally. You could see crews lift the hoist toward the helicopter. That's when the basket starts to spin. So they lowered her for a second try, but that only made the basket spin faster and faster and faster. Now, amazingly, Caitlin didn't pass out, even though she rotated over 150 times around, uh, though she said a week on, the world is yet to stand still. There are times in life where we can feel overwhelmingly helpless and everything we seem to do seems to just add to the problem. This was one of those situations. We read in verse 3, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. As Jesus walked into that scene, it would have been incredibly distressing, this multitude of people. Uh, it had been like walking into a field hospital on the edge of a war zone. The needs are massive, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, there was so much need. It, in fact, the word that you, is used for paralyzed there is where we get our word for zero. That's how people viewed them, that they added nothing. They were helpless. But then in the midst of that, you then get this one guy who, one who was there, had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years, 38 years, that's such a long time. For us today, that's 1982. Just to give you some context, in 1982, Michael Jackson released Thriller. Steven Spielberg directed E.T. Ronald Reagan was the president in America and Mahathir was prime minister here, so maybe not so much changes. Uh, but 38 years ago, they started building the Penang Bridge, and most importantly, 38 years ago, saw the opening of the first McDonald's in Malaysia, just across the road over there in Bukit Bintang. 38 years is a long time to be in need, and he's ended up totally helpless. Physically, he's helpless. He's disabled. Socially, he's helpless. He can't interact with others. He's competing with them. Internally, he's helpless. When he's asked a question, he responds with a kind of story excuse. He thinks this is the way it is. This is the way it's always been, and this is the way it will always be. 
But then on top of that, if that wasn't enough, there's also a spiritual helplessness that the passage, that the passage highlights. Because one of the ways that the law was interpreted then by the religious leaders was that it excluded these people from temple worship. And in a sense, what John is trying to do here is say that this man was a picture of the people of God at this moment. They're sat under the law, the Pentateuch, represented by these five colonnades. They're waiting for the waters to be troubled so that they can pass through and go into life. And he's been there 38 years, the time that Israel spent in the wilderness. He's waiting and all the law can do is highlight his problems and he's stuck outside of God's promise and unable to enter in. The law only highlights our problems but is powerless to help us to overcome them. It doesn't generate hope, if anything it crushes it. And into all of that, into that situation, Jesus steps and says, get up, pick up your mat and walk which is astonishing, but even more astonishing is that it works and he's healed. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. Jesus' word alone is able to bring hope to our lives. Religion is powerless to help. Superstition is powerless to help. But Jesus not only notices this guy, he speaks to him and he gives him hope. He gives hope to the helpless. And if he can do that for this man, you can be sure that he can do it for you. Now, this lands in two really practical ways for us. First of all, it means that we pray for people to be healed. Jesus healed people. He commands us to pray for people to be healed. And so we would love to pray with you later for any health or sickness uh, uh, that you are encountering at the moment. We would love to pray with you that you would encounter God's healing presence. That's the first way that this lands. But the other way that this lands for us is that we see that hope is birthed out of hearing God's word and responding to God's word. How loud is God's voice in your life at this time? Who is the first voice that you hear speaking to you in the morning? Is it the news or is it God's word? Is it uh, the situations of life or is it God's hope for your future. This guy has settled for too small a hope and we read that as he hears Jesus's voice, as he responds to Jesus's voice, he receives a hope that changes everything. One of the easiest ways you can hear God's voice is to do something like the Bible in one year. Read his word. The Bible in one year app is a, is a really simple way to do it. Don't be perfectionist about it. Just open it today and just start with today's readings. As you listen to God's word, you will hear God's voice and he will breathe hope into your life. As we hear Jesus' voice, we receive hope in our helplessness. He gives hope to the helpless. But as well as hope to the helpless, this is a hope for our whole life. We read this. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, that seems like a very silly question. It, it kind of seems like a slightly insensitive question, Jesus. It's like, well, kind of, of course, of course he wants to get well. But, but the more you think about it, you realize it's incredibly insightful. 
Because if this guy gets well, that changes everything. It changes how he lives. It changes his lifestyle. It changes how he sustains his lifestyle. It changes how he views himself. In fact, this is exactly the same as what happened to us as we received Jesus' hope because his hope changes the shape of our lives. This word for healing here is not just about physical healing. It has the connotation of wholeness and it has this idea of increase and growth. When Jesus asks him, do you want to be well? He's saying, are you ready to change? Are you ready to grow? Because when I give you this hope, it's gonna change the direction of your life. Now, this guy just responds to Jesus in hopelessness. He kind of gives this like story excuse answer. And so Jesus removes that barrier, partly because he loves him, but also so that Jesus can address what he thinks matters the most. We read this. Later, when he, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And do you know what? This isn't like a scolding. This isn't like Jesus being grace, 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 and now I'm going to tell you off. This is Jesus saying, look, I've given you hope, but this isn't just hope for one area of your life. This is hope for your whole life. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not again submit to the bondage of slavery. Jesus says, look, I want you to be free in every area of your life. This is a hope for the whole life. Now, this can be hard though, can't it? It's hard because when we need hope the most is when hope is hardest to see because we're in a hopeless situation. And one of the ways this passage tries to encourage us is that it keeps giving us glimpses of God's hand at work, even amongst the pain. For example, when it says, here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And what we see here is that the word used for disabled, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed, they all rhyme. In other words, John, the writer, is saying, look, even amongst the chaos, God is at work to work his poetry, that God is at work in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. We also see it in what Jesus says to him when we read later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him see you are well again like English is such an understated language that word for found is actually where we get the word eureka and that word for uh, see is is actually wow it's behold Jesus is looking at this guy and he's saying wow Jesus is impressed by his own handiwork in this man's life and do you know what when Jesus looked at you when he created you he said this is good but when he recreates you by his Holy Spirit as he looks at you he says wow Jesus puts his hope in us. And it's not just his words, it's his actions too. See, the odd thing about this passage is that Jesus creates quite a lot of problems for himself by healing this man. But if that wasn't enough, Jesus makes it worse for himself because he doesn't just tell the guy to walk, he tells him to pick up his mat and walk. 
See, this is the thing that upsets the religious leaders the most. Because they say that carrying a mat, that's work. And because it's the Sabbath, Jesus is breaking the law. We read this in verse 9 and 10. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to this man who has been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Now, I think the reason I missed this is because when I saw Matt, I, I was kind of thinking this. Thank you, Sam. I was thinking Pilates, Matt. You know, he just kind of rolls it up, puts it under his arm, and strolls off to his next uh, Pilates uh, workout session uh, where he can unroll it again. But actually, when you look at the word that's there, it, it's more like this. It's more a mattress. This is like a pallet. It's, it's like heavy. And, and do you know what? This, this is a bit too small because I tried to get a bigger one, but it wouldn't fit in Adrian's car, and which is kind of, kind of proving the point, really. Like Jesus says, pick up your mat. It's awkward. It, he would have been walking through the temple and forget social distancing. He's like rubbing up against everyone. He's sort of having to lift it over his head. Like it would have looked ridiculous. And the reason Jesus is doing it is because a hope for the whole life means it can't just stop with you. A hope for the whole life has to go out to the whole world. And when he says, pick up your mat, he's making sure that everyone in the temple that day could see the hope that Jesus had given this guy. He makes his hope visible. He makes his hope visible. This is a hope for the whole world. Now, we're going to have to be wise about how we serve people and interact with people in the next few months. Sometimes loving your neighbor might mean self-isolating. Other times it might mean putting yourself out there to serve others. Uh, but remember, Jesus is with us. And he has given us his spirit. And he never asks us to do anything that he has not already done himself first. He asked this guy to pick up his mat. But this is all heading towards Jesus picking up his cross. In fact, this is the moment in John's gospel where by giving this man hope, we see people turning away from Jesus and starting to plot to kill him. A plot that ends up in the cross. A cross that even that, even that God turns around and transforms into the strangest symbol of hope that the world has ever seen. And as we look at the cross and resurrection, we discover that there is no area of our lives that we can legitimately look at without hope because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. Later on in this passage, as the argument builds up, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus wants this man to be visible because as he puts his hope in him, Others get to share in it as well. And in this time, when people are fearful and lacking hope, we get to be carriers of hope. We get to carry Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. Amen. I'm going to hand over to Mars now as he leads us as we pray. We're going to pray together now, so uh, wherever you are, uh, if you can, I'm going to suggest, would, would you stand? And then you might either like to close your eyes 
you don't have to, but you might like to close your eyes if that's helpful, or um, even put your hands out in front of you like this. If it's a way of saying to the Lord, I'm ready to receive. And you know, St. Paul writing to the Colossians talks of Christ in you, the hope of glory. So it's the presence of Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit, Spirit that births hope in us. So right now, if, if maybe you've never invited the Spirit of Christ into your heart, you've never chosen to put your faith in him before, right now you can do that and have hope rise again in your heart just by silently praying these words, repeating them in your heart. So let's pray together. Just say, thank you, God, that you love me and sent your son Jesus to die for me on the cross. I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong, thought wrong, said wrong in the past and will do in the future. I turn from the wrongs right now. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for me, that I can be forgiven. And I receive that forgiveness now. And please send your Holy Spirit to come and live in my heart for all eternity. And would you birth hope in me again? In Jesus' name, amen. And let's just stay where we are right now. And all of us, just pray this prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us again now with your presence. And just receive. Doesn't matter what you're feeling right now. The promise is this, that if you have asked, you have received. The Lord Almighty is upon you. He's with you right now. What hope. If you're sick today, I pray, Lord Almighty, you are the healer. You are the great physician. I command the sickness to go now in the name of Jesus. Send your Holy Spirit. Begin to heal every cell in the body, we pray. And for loved ones, would you heal them? Would you protect us, put a hedge of protection around us and pour out your blessing? We have online pastors. You can write your prayer request now in a chat and they'll begin to pray for you. I have a picture in my mind. I think uh, there's, it, it's a woman and I think you have uh, 
digestive problems, you've lost quite a bit of weight, I think you're wearing blue, maybe even a blue dress, right now, Lord, would you bring your healing? I think there's also someone, you're, you're wrapped with indecision. Uh, you've got to make a, a decision and you, really you're stuck. Both options seem equally good or equally bad and you just don't know what to do. You feel caged by indecision. Right now, the Spirit of God is with you. Let the Spirit just speak to you right now. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. You're answering prayers right now, right across the globe. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.